Good evening, everyone uh, from uh, North America, uh, the Great Lakes state of Michigan. It is um, not quite Sabbath here yet, but we are approaching uh, that sunset and we're anticipating God's rest, uh, which in, enables us each week to be re replenished, if you will, and to be lifted up. So it's always um, a good opportunity to come and, and address the brethren uh, and bring a message. Um, was talking about the, the drought conditions around the country. Even here in Michigan, we're feeling uh, drought conditions. Certain parts of the state get rain and others don't. Uh, but we are in pretty good shape overall. Well, once again, um, uh, happy Sabbath to everyone. Our, our message tonight uh, that I prepared for us is the righteousness of Christ. Truly, I think we all know that Christ is righteous. Again, he was God in, God in the flesh and God is, God is righteous. But I wanted to focus on his righteousness from a, a little bit of a different um, perspective. I wanted us to think deeply on what that righteousness does for us and how it was made possible. So uh, I want to focus uh, on three major things tonight. Uh, Christ, the fact that Christ has made justification possible by his righteousness. It's his righteousness that makes it possible. It's this entire um, experience that we are experiencing spiritually is made possible by his righteousness and what he did. And, and it's, it, it, hopefully we'll bring out some things that, that will help us to appreciate it even more. Uh, the other fact that we want to come to a, a little bit of an understanding on, and that is our righteousness is not sufficient. It's not enough, though we strive as God's spirit moves us with all of our mind, soul, and being, our righteousness falls short for what, it, what is necessary for us to be justified by the Father. And, and finally, uh, the third item is because of him, what we have as the people of God, what we have as a promise, as, uh, as an assurance and a, and a sure hope because of him. And, and that, of course, includes God's love. So we'll talk about those three things uh, a little bit as I go through, through the scriptures. I want to start in Isaiah 64. And let's establish a very clear uh, place where we are or where we began uh, without Christ. So uh, here the earth needs God today as it as it's never needed and before, of course. And the closer we get to the return of Christ, we're going to see more and more of that need. It'll be more and more um, clear to us as members of God's family, uh, maybe to those who are as um, who are in darkness. But here, let's, let's express what Isaiah expressed in the word here. In, in speaking, he says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that mountains might quake at your presence. And they will when he does return. We know that as described there in Revelation and other places. As, as, verse two, as the melting fire burns, the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries. 
that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things, which we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. And from ancient times, men have not heard, nor did they perceive, neither has the eye seen a God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. And this is comforting to us, brethren, to know that God acts for us because we put our hope and our confidence and our trust in him. And verse five, we, we um, meet him who rejoices and works righteousness. Those who remembered you and your ways, behold, you were angry for we sinned. And there is sin in this world, yes. And we in the flesh as even members of God's church recognize that sin, the law of sin and death is still within us. But we hang on and we keep moving forward toward Christ. He says in the latter part of verse five, we have continued in our sins a long time. How can we be saved? And many of us ask that question sometimes. I'm, I'm sure in some of our lower parts of our, our um, conditions at times. But once again, there is hope in Christ because of his righteousness. Verse six, but we are all as unclean things and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. There is no one who calls upon your name who stirs up himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us away because of our iniquities. And so, brethren, we pray to God that his will is done on the earth, that his kingdom is established on the earth, that his kingdom comes because of these conditions that we're describing here. Verse eight, but now, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, you are our potter, and we are we all are the work of your hand. And again, that work that God is able to do in us is made possible by all the things that his righteousness brings to the table. In verse nine, do not be grievously angry, O Lord, nor remember iniquities forever. Behold, look, we beseech you, all of us are your people. Your holy cities are wilderness. Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem is a desolation. The house of our holiness and our beauty, where our fathers praise you, is burned up with fire, and our pleasant things are laid waste, as was lamented as they saw uh, that temple destroyed as they uh, witness its uh, destruction. And, and so they asked, will you restrain yourself over these things, O Lord, or will you be silent and sorely afflict us? So we can reach points of difficulty in life as God's people, as has been demonstrated within the history preserved for us as a record of the people of Israel and God's family 
even under the, you know, under the old covenant. But today under the new covenant, God still looks to those whom he has put his name, you know, in, his presence in. He's looking to his church where his true temple is today. Turn with me to Romans. Let's go to Romans now. So as we introduce the need for God's righteousness in this society that we live in, and we see the difficulties all around us, but we still have hope in God. In Romans 10, and let's pick it up in verse 3, we look at the world around us and as they um, struggle in the darkness, groping around for hope, but holding on to things that can't save, that can't help. For they, being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God, verse 3, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of works of law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses wrote concerning the righteousness that comes through the law. The man who has practiced those things shall live in them, shall live by them. And living by God's law is always a good thing. And to practice it is good and righteous and true. Verse six. But the righteousness that comes through faith speaks after this manner. Do not say in your heart who shall ascend unto heaven, that is to bring Christ down or who shall ascend, uh, descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from among the dead. But what does it say? In this new covenant relationship we have with God, the word is near to you. That's what it says. The word is near to you in your mouth and in your heart. This is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Whose righteousness is that belief dependent upon? It is not ours, but we believe that he was righteous enough to do great things. So great a thing that we have hope in him and his righteousness that it will um, allow us to be with him in the kingdom. That it will secure a place for us if we continue to hope in him and trust in him all the way through to the return of Christ until the end. So the latter half of verse 10 and with the mouth one confesses unto salvation. Because the scripture says everyone who believes in him shall not be ashamed. But you see, belief brings action. It isn't just a dry release of belief. It isn't a dry notion of just saying I take I take it all, but I give nothing back. It is a belief that motivates, that moves us to do something and to live According to his righteousness, it moves us to yearn and thirst after righteousness. Now, let's go to um, Philippians and expand a little bit more on this concept. Philippians 3. 
Philippians 3 and verse 9. He says, um, let's pick it up in verse 8. But then truly I count, this is um, Paul speaking. Let's, let's get a proper introduction to this. Um, let's, let's go to verse 6. With respect to zeal, Paul was expressing his commitment prior to his calling in terms of, of being um, committed, if you will, to the law and committed to Judaism and committed to that way that he was a part of. So he says, respect with respect, verse 6, to zeal, persecuting the church. Now, that's very committed and zealous in terms of what one believes that it, that he would uh, take the life of his um, his his people, if you will, that because of what they believe. So with respect to zeal, persecuting the church, with respect to righteousness, that is in law. See, there is a righteousness of the law. Yes. He says blameless. Blameless. Yet, verse seven, the things that were gained to me, these things I count as loss for the sake of Christ. And he um, he brings out very importantly uh, that that is the most important thing that is to have Christ, because he says in verse eight. But then truly, I count all things to be lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus, of Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as dung. So I may gain uh, that I may gain Christ. See, everything is worth relinquishing for a relationship with Christ and with God the Father. Everything is worth throwing away as dung because of the truth that is in Christ and the hope that is in Christ and what He has done for us. He has done so that we might have access to him and to the Father. And there is something greater at, at, at work here. Let's go to Romans 3 now. Go to Romans 3, something greater at work. In Romans 3, and let's pick it up in verse 20. So again, just comparing uh, our efforts against what Christ has done for us, our efforts are just not sufficient. He says, verse 20, therefore, by works of law, there shall no flesh be justified before him. But through the law is knowledge of sin. That's all it does. It, de it defines what sin is so that we can avoid it. Um, it tells, it, it gives us instructions to avoid all those pitfalls, all those all those things which bring which brings nothing but misery and death. That is the function of law. But let's see something here in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God that is apart from or separate from law, works of law. It is a separate operation that is at work in our lives that law has nothing to do with. Right. It is a separate separate operation. Um, works of law has been revealed. 
being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Again, let's read that one more time. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God that is separate from works of law has been revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So let's take a quick look at where um, some of those things that came out. Let's go, first of all, to uh, verse, let's go on down to verse uh, 21 and 22. Let's read those and then verse 28. But now the righteous, I'm sorry, verse 22, even the righteousness of God that is through the faith of Jesus Christ toward all and upon all those who believe, where there is no difference. And then in verse um, 28, he says, consequently, we reckon that a man is justified by faith, separate from works of law, apart from as a separate operation from works of law. So what made that possible for us? What made that um, state of not, no condemnation possible for us? So let's look at, um, as it was referenced up there, I, I have a tendency to be able to pick up clarity as I go back to the Old Testament to look into some of these things. But before we go back there and read a scripture or two, let's go to John 5. Let's go to John 5. Uh, in John 5, okay, in verse, we'll pick it up here in, uh, let's just pick it up in verse 36. John 5, 36. Uh, John wrote, but he says, um, but I have a greater witness than John's for the works that the Father gave me to do, this is Christ speaking, to complete the works that he gave me to complete, the very works that I am doing themselves bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Now that is telling in itself that this, this incredible thing that's happening in our lives has been designed by both the Father and the Son. Verse uh, 37, and the Father himself who sent me has borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice nor seen his form at any time. And you do not have his words dwelling in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent, whom he has sent. You search the scriptures for in them you think that you have eternal life in the word. And they are the ones that testify of me. We're talking about the law and the prophets, the writings. They testify of him and his righteousness. Let's see, verse 40. But you are unwilling to come to me, Christ says, that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I, I know I have known you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. But if another one comes in his own name, you receive him. How are you able to believe you who receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? He says, do not think that I will accuse you to the father. There is one who accuses you, even Moses, in whom you have hope. 
So God's word is telling. God's word cuts through like a hot knife through a bu through butter. It reveals and lays bare. It does in verse 46. But if you believe Moses, you would have believed me for he wrote about me. And if you do not believe his writing, how shall you believe my words? So all of this is just letting us know that this message regarding Christ began even um, you know, in Genesis and the law and in the prophets, he is proclaimed there. So, so Moses prophesied of Christ and his righteousness. Let's take a look at what he said. Let's go to Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3 and um, verse 15. Genesis 3, verse 15. He says, right there at the beginning, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head. You will bruise his seal. This is prophetic of Christ. Let's go on then to take a look. Um, let's take a look again at um, chapter 12, Genesis 12. Let's come back here. So he says here, uh, this is a, a conversation with Abraham, prophesying again of that, of that seed. Verse one, and the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country and from your kindreds and from your father's house into a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. True. And I will bless those who bless you and curse the one who curses you. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is also true, brethren. And again, verse four, then Abraham departed even as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with them. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Um, let's take a look. Um, let's come on down then to. Uh, chapter 18 now of Genesis 18, and let's pick it up in verse 18. So uh, here Christ is speaking to Abraham, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Um, and then let's come over to chapter... 22, real quick. Let's go over 21, 22, verse 18. Again, uh, let's see. Verse 14, and Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, so that it is said until this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, he says, by myself, I have sworn. Now, this is an, one of the most powerful scriptures for me in, in the word of God, 
that God has sworn to do something for someone. And that promise that he swore also impacts our very own lives. So let's see. By myself, I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, that in blessing I will bless you and in multiplying I will multiply your seed like the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is upon the seashore and your seed shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And this is, uh, again, a hallmark scripture that is critical for our faith and what we believe because we see that that has been held to in terms of God's work with Abraham and his descendants. We see that that is um, realized in the very life of Christ himself. So we have truly something to hold on to. Now let's go to Deuteronomy. Let's look at how it's expressed there. And again, we're talking about faith and a righteousness that is greater than ours. We're talking about a righteousness that has the power to save, a righteousness that has the power to put us in right standing in, in, a, in a, a state of justification uh, before, before God, an acceptable standing that God will receive us and hear us and be attuned to our needs and our prayers and our petitions before his throne. And this is an incredible thing for a human being who is flesh and subject to the law of sin and death as we walk across life, you know, and, and life's journey to the kingdom of God and all the different things that, that come at us and all the different discoveries about our weaknesses in the flesh that we need God so desperately we need access to God so desperately. As we come on down here to Deuteronomy 18, and let's pick uh, pick it up in verse, um, let's see. Let's pick it up here in, in uh, verse 15. The Lord your God, he simply affirms, the Lord your God will raise up unto you a prophet from the midst of you of your brethren, one like me. To him you shall hearken. This is Moses speaking to the children of Israel. In verse 16, according to all that you desire of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire anymore so that I may not die. And he says, and the Lord said to me, they have spoken well that they have spoken. He says in verse 18, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, one like you. And I will put my words in his mouth. Yes, our Lord and Savior was a working, um, you know, morning by morning to receive uh, that inspired uh, teaching from God. And he shall speak to them all that I have commanded him. So these are the promises in setting up uh, the place where we are right now. Let's go to Matthew. Let's go to Matthew. And we'll go to Matthew 3. 
Now in the days of John the ba- uh, in the days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of uh, Judea and saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand for this is he who was spoken of by Isaiah the prophet saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make straight his paths and uh, John the Baptist did that now, John himself wore, you know, a garment of camel's hair and leathers, a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Um, then went out to him those from Jerusalem and all Judea and all the country around the Jordan and were being baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. And after seeing many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who forewarned you to flee the coming, the, from the coming wrath? He says, therefore, produce fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say within yourself, we have Abraham for our father. For I tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. But but already the ax is striking at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that is not producing good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So brethren, we have this relationship by which we need to be producing the fruits that God has called us to produce. Christ gives us the power to have Uh, this accomplished in our life. Now let's go to Isaiah 11. Let's go to Isaiah 11. And let's look at one other thing here. Isaiah 11 and verse, let's just start here in verse 1. It says, and there shall come forth a shoot out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, which are all made possible by the indwelling of God's spirit within us. spiritual power that was not possible with the spirit and man alone. The spirit is Holy Spirit. This spirit is from God, the Father. The spirit, the the presence of that spirit within us was made possible by Christ's righteousness because we couldn't even stand to ask for it. We couldn't bow our heads in prayer and ask God's forgiveness to receive it. Because you see, we stand in the righteousness of Christ when we do. So his righteousness is a powerful thing in making possible all the things that we can do in prayer and and, and receiving God's presence in our life. Um. Verse three says, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge according to the sight of the eyes, nor after the hearing of the ears. But with righteousness, he says, with righteousness, he shall judge the poor 
and shall reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. Verse five, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness, the girdle of his reins. And this is where we have our hope as well. So we're standing in that trust and that belief and that hope and that promise as well. Let's go to Psalm 2. And let's explore just a little bit further as we start to look now to where we are and what we need to do with this. Because once again, our righteousness is unacceptable. But there is a righteousness of the law, as I described before. And our walk and belief and what we do and our um, desire to please God and to do that which is pleasing in his sight and to live according to his way, that change of thinking and believing and hoping and doing is made possible by the very presence of God within us the power of God's Holy Spirit within us. But let's go to um, Psalm, the second Psalm. Let's pick it up in, um, let's pick it up in verse six. He says, yea, I have set my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the decree of the Lord. He has said to me, you are my son. This day I have begotten you. Ask of me and I shall give the nations for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. And brethren, I'm talking about our spiritual inheritance here with Christ. These things are part of why, you know, of what it is that we're looking forward to. He says, you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, uh, therefore, be wise, O kings, be admonished, O judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath can flame up in a moment. Blessed are all those, all who take refuge in him. So God being who he is, yes, warrants fear and awe and honor. But he is God and he is truly love. So through all of that, respect and honor we know that he loves us and he he sends forth what we need to be a part of his family let's go to isaiah 49 isaiah 49 okay in isaiah 49 let's just start it here once again God ad admonishing us through his prophets. It says, listen, O isles to me and hearken, 
you people from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb. He has made mention of my name from my mother's belly and has made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand. He has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. He has hidden me in his quiver and said to me, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely justice is, the, is with the Lord and my reward is with my God. And now say, says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel is not gathered yet, I shall be glorious, it says, yet I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and, and my God shall be my strength. He said, it is but a little thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you the light to, for a light to the nations to be my salvation to the end of the earth. Verse seven, thus says the Lord, the redeemer of Israel, his holy one to whom, to him whom my a man despises to him whom the nations hate. The servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise and arise. Princesses also shall worship because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose you. Um, let's come down here to verse 12. Um, Let's pick it up in verse 11. And I will make all my mountains into roads and my highways shall be exalted. Behold, these shall come from afar and lo, these from the north and from the west and, and uh, from the line of land of Sinim. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break out into singing, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion upon his afflicted. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and my Lord has forgotten me. And God expresses his love. Can a woman forget a suckling child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I've carved you upon the palms of my hands. Your walls are forever before me. And God means that. Very much so. Verse 22. Thus says the Lord God. Behold, I will lift up my hand to the Gentiles and have set up my banner to the people. And they shall bring their sons in their bosom and your daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. And kings shall be your nursing fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. They shall bow to you with their faces to the earth and lick up the dust of your feet 
and you shall know that I am the Lord. But they shall be ashamed who wait. They shall not be ashamed who wait for me. Shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of a tyrant by rescue? But thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away and the prey of the fierce ones shall be rescued. For I will contend with him who contends with you and I will save your children. And I will feed those who oppress you with their own flesh and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with sweet wine and all flesh shall know that I am the Lord. I, the Lord, am your savior and your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. So God is a powerful God. And again, this is the same God who came down to be that perfect righteous char uh, character for us. So what is it um, that we have in this relationship? You know, um, only we and God knows what really goes on in our lives, what we need and where, where we are. It isn't something that we, you know, share um, across some social media platform. It is a personal, intimate relationship that each and every one of us have with Jesus Christ and God the Father in terms of where we are and how we access that righteousness and the faith that is in him. Because again, as we as we struggle through life and as we as we uh, strive to do what's good in God's eyes, we know that we stumble and we fall from time to time, but we don't lose hope or faith. Some find themselves in tremendous trials and difficulty at times, being tested beyond measure to the point where they say, well, what is wrong with me? Why is it so difficult in my life? Well, count it all joy if you go through various trials and temptations because once again we know that God is perfecting himself within us he will get the job done um, let's take a look at Proverbs 24 Proverbs 24 in Proverbs 24 and let's just pick it up in verse 10 Let's, this is a very uh, good message for each and every one of us to take to heart. And we need to just hang on. We need to keep striving in faith, believing in hope and trusting God. But if you faint, verse 10, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. So we got to go back to the source of strength, which is God the Father. We do that through Christ. His righteousness, again, makes that possible. Verse 11, rescue those being drawn to death and hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know it, right? Does not he who searches the heart consider it? And the keeper of your soul, does he not know? And does he not repay uh, to every man according to his works. He says, my son, eat honey because it's good. And the honeycomb is sweet to your palate. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be to your soul. When you have found it, 
then there shall be a reward and your hope shall not be cut off. And God makes that very clear as a part of his word so that we can read it and comprehend it. But here's the opposite to those who turn from God, who will not seek after God. He says, oh, wicked man, do not lie in ambush against the dwelling of the righteous. Do not spoil his resting place. For a righteous one falls seven times and rises up again, but the wicked shall fall into evil. And so verse 17, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord sees and it despises, uh, displeases him and he turn away his wrath from him. Um, we have this relationship again made possible through what Christ has done and where he is right now available to us. Let's read a little further. Let's go to Philippians 2. So in this relationship that we have with God, in this place of faith and trust and belief in his promise to us, in the one who is at his right hand, uh, we, we have... Um, and understanding that we have a responsibility too in this relationship. We don't, again, just take advantage of the grace or take advantage of the love of God as he has poured it out upon us, but we respond in kind with a, a commitment of heart, with our desire to come to him. We are seeking him always not just because he's found us now and given us his spirit. We're still seeking him daily. We seek him differently now with God's spirit dwelling in us. We go to his word and we are, you know, moved and taught by it. In Philippians uh, 2, in verse, we'll just pick it up in verse 1. Now then, if there be any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort of love, of any fellowship of the spirit. And that's what we all have. We have encouragement in Christ. We have comfort. We have comfort of the love of God. Fellowship of the spirit, because we all have the one spirit. If any deep inner affections and compassions, which we are instructed to have for one another, and has been expressed in God's church, we see it within God's uh, family here, quite evident. He says, fulfill my joy, that you be of one of the same mind, having the same love, being joined together in soul, minding the one thing. Let nothing be done through contention or vainglory, but in humility, each esteeming the other above himself. Let each one look not only after his own things, but let each one also consider the things of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Now it's getting heavy, brother, and let's see what Christ expects. If we have the mind of Christ and our commitment to one another is strong, our commitment to God is strong. He says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but emptied himself. Now, this is interesting. You say, 
Christ, who is perfect righteous character, emptied himself of that perfect righteous character to become human so that he could qualify, if you will, to be perfect righteous character again. That is a commitment to each and every one of us. He emptied himself and was made in the likeness of man, took on the form of a servant, and being found in the manner of man, possible that he could lose it all, if you will, if he would have sinned. Being found in the manner of man, he did what we should do. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And who knows what we'll be confronted with in our lifetime in terms of choices that we will have to make. Uh, therefore, he says in verse nine, God has also highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, the only one, every knee should bow. The only one who can say the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And of, of beings in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, even as you have always obeyed, and this is what I was saying earlier, we desire to co commit ourselves to obedience to God. And with God's Holy Spirit, it can be done, not just with the Spirit, but access to the Father in prayer. Not just access to the Father, standing before the Father with the perfect, righteous character of Christ, humbly petitioning him. He says we should always obey, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not that we can bring ourselves to eternal life but understanding with wisdom, as it said there in Proverbs, that we are able to exercise godly wisdom with this understanding and choices that we make and knowledge about Christ. Now, verse 13, for it is God who works in you both the will and to do according to his good pleasure. So there is no more intimacy between us and God. We are at peace. We are truly at peace. Let's take a look because uh, the, the standing that we have and what we do now, God doesn't want us to have fear. He doesn't want us to doubt whether or not it is, it is complete love that he has for us. He wants us to know that it is a, it is a fully committed love that he has for those who seek after him especially if you have his spirit and has become a son or daughter of his. He loves all his creation, but he is working in us today. That work he's doing in us was only made possible because of what Christ did, what Christ did and who he is at the Father's right hand. Let's take a look at Isaiah um, say, look at the time. Let's, we have a uh, time for uh, uh, about three or four more scriptures here. Let's let's go to Isaiah 59. 
Let's go to Isaiah 59. This is what God um, sees for our future. Um, Isaiah 59. Let's pick it up in verse 8. He says, they have not known the, you know, the world that we live in. They have not known the way of peace, and there is no justice in their ways. They have made crooked paths for themselves. Uh, whoever goes therein shall not know peace. He says, therefore, justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We wait for light, but behold darkness, for brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. We grope along the wall like a blind. This is the status of the world at large without God's hand or spirit guiding them. This is us prior to God's calling and not having a true bearing in terms of who we are and why we were born. What is the purpose of life? This is a sad state, if you will. Um, so there, um, I won't take time to read the entire thing, but let's come here to um, verse 17. Let's see. Let's pick it up in verse 15. He says, yea, truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. And the Lord saw, and it was evil in his eyes, that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man and was astonished that there was no one's intercessor. Therefore, his own arm, his own arm brought salvation to him and his righteousness sustained him. For he put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garment of vengeance for clothing and was covered with zeal like a cloak. According to their deeds, according to accordingly, he will repay fury to his foes, deeds, uh, deed for deed to his enemies. He will repay their deeds um, to the isles. Verse 18, so they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall make him flee. The redeemer shall come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression to, uh, in transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. As for me. This is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth, nor out of your mouth, out of the mouth of your seed, nor out of the mouth of your seed seed, says the Lord from now on and forever. So now let's go to uh, the Gospel of John. For a moment. And that's John 17. So now you're contrasting um, Jesus's um, words of encouragement, warning, admonition. Let's go once again and see this full commitment. And 
his prayer that he prayed to the father in the night that he was to give us his life, you know, at the Passover. Jesus spoke these words, John 17. And these words are prayer to the father. And I see what his his emphasis was, what his desire was. Jesus spoke these words and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your own son so that your son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh in order that he may give eternal life to all whom you have given him. For this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you did send. He said that he I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father. Glorify uh, me with you, with your own self, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. He says, now they have known that all things that you have given me are from you. For I have given them the words that you have given me and they have received them and truly have known that I came from you and they believe that you did send me. And he says, I praying, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and all yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. So he told the father that he was coming to him. In verse 17, he then says, say 16, he says, they are not of the world. Yet I am as I am, just as I am not of the world. And he says, sanctify them, set them apart in your truth. Your word is truth. Even as you did send me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So here we are in God's church today in this world, waiting for Christ's return, doing his will, doing his work, trusting in him to work these great miracles in our lives and to see his work through until the very end. In in verse 19, and for their sakes, he says, I sanctify myself so that they may be sanctified in your truth. I do not pray for these only, but also for those who shall believe in me through their word. And that is us, brethren, reading these words here right now. Those in the law, those in the prophets, of the prophets, we read them and we believe them and we act on them. We hope in God in every way. We trust in God and for everything. And we act and do and put forth effort to the maximum because we know that uh, that is pleasing to God and it produces life. It is it is from the righteousness of the law. Yes, because to live in those laws brings peace. It brings blessings and to live Apart from those laws and darkness brings misery and death. 
But our salvation is a whole nother manner. Um, let's see. Let's go. Let's go to Philippians once again. And we'll end with this, this uh, verse. Philippians 3. Um, let's pick it up. Once again, from Paul's perspective. And we'll pick it up in verse 1 through. Um, we'll pick it up here in verse 1. So finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And he says, indeed, for me to write to uh, the things, uh, to write the same things to you is not troublesome, but for it, uh, but for you, it is safe. So he says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision. And rejoice in Christ Jesus and do not trust in the flesh. Though I might also have reason to trust in the flesh, if any other, uh, any others thinks he has cause to trust in the flesh, I have much more. And he goes on to, to explain all of that. Um, but he says in verse um, eight, once again, but truly then I count all things to be lost for the excellence of the knowledge of, of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as dumb that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is derived from law, but the righteousness, which is by the faith of Christ, the righteousness of God that is based upon faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I have already received it or have already been perfected, but I am striving as we all are brethren striving so that we may also lay hold on that for which also, and this is the part that is very powerful me for me, lay hold on that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ. So it is it originated from the Father in Christ. We're the objects of it. We are the receivers of it. We are the purpose of it, that he decided to, do, to empty himself to become a perfect savior for us so that we might have hope of eternal life in him. And yes, brethren, he will be glorified. He will be glorified when it's all said and done. So um, continue to focus on Jesus Christ as our personal savior in ways that are true according to his word so that we recognize 
from where our salvation comes.